I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Everybody is interested in process. How do actors memorize their lines? How does a car get designed? And how does an airplane stay up in the sky? In my case, the question I'm most often asked is how does a restaurant work? How does the mozzarella come out the same time as a ravioli? How do you know how many portions of sea bass to order? What do you do when a chef calls in sick? The answers to these questions are simple. It's people. And two of the most important people for me at the River Cafe are Sean Winowen and Joseph Trevelli, who between them have really clocked up 50 years of experience in this restaurant. Sean, if I were to ask you to introduce Joseph Trevelli, how would you introduce him? Well, Joseph is one of my best friends. I've worked with him for 20 plus years. And how would you introduce Sean? Um, well, you have to say she's one of your best friends. Yeah, she's my best friend. <laughs> Actually, you can I was... say I don't know Sean very well. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so, there we are. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> okay. Cheers. A champagne. This is a first for me. The beginning of this interview might be better than the end, or maybe the end will be better than the beginning. In terms of process and in terms of how a restaurant works... How does a menu get written? Do you want to? We well, can both talk about I it. I think we have what we would encourage the chefs to do when we employ them is to have a constant dialogue about food. So, from the minute I get up in the morning, I would cycle to work, go straight to the pool, and for that half an hour where I'm just swimming my lengths, I just think about the menu. I think, oh, who's working? What's the weather like? Is it mm. scorcher? Is it cold? You know, and. No one can interrupt me because I'm just swimming up and down. So basically I can get the menu in my head, thinking about all those nuances of a balanced menu, colour, obviously seasonality. And I remember once writing a menu in the, in the early days at the River Cafe and I remember Ruthie saying to me, every person who comes to River Cafe is coming for a different reason. But there's many people who are coming because it's a celebration. So one person's working lunch is someone else's wedding anniversary or birthday. And so to write a menu that considers all those things is a real skill because if you're, if you're eating out seven days a week, you don't want to eat the same way as if you've saved up to come here and this is your big day. So you need to write a menu that thinks of all of that, the fussy eater, the celebratory eater. Do you uh, think about it when you're swimming every day? <laughs> I don't swim every day anymore. I used to. <laughs> um, I think about it cycling in. And when I'm writing the menu, I always think about, yeah, it's the balance on one line of a dish, mm. you know, like chilli and lemon or whatever, and the colours, and then the balance on the menu. And then there'll be a sous chef on that shift who'll be working with us. So while we're writing the menu, they're manning the kitchen and making sure that the prep is done, mm. you know, checking this and that. 
dealing with the fish suppliers phoning up and the butchers phoning and people, you know, there's many uh, calls coming in about, because we're working with the seasonality and, and we're only cooking what's reflected in the market. You know, if there's no scallops, we won't put them on the menu. It's not like we've got a three-month menu where we have scallops on every day. We, if there's no Cavallo Nero in the, you know, we, everything reflects the market. I always like to call on my way in or the night before, mm-hmm. as they're probably really frustrating, but to kind of know what you have, you know, that you have in your head, that you have langoustine, but you don't have scallops, or you have sea bass, but you don't have turbot, you can then start planning, you know, I think, how yeah. that goes. I think one of the things about both of you is that you are incredibly patient with new chefs. I, I do, I think you are. I've always tried to... If ever I was to tell someone off in the kitchen, I would always try and make sure that it was never a personal... Mm. It would only be, like, a, to do with what they've done. I take a, a lot of pride in not being an aggressive chef, never really raising my voice. And people... Some people want to see you behave like that in the kitchen because they think that's what a head chef would do. And I just think, I, I refuse to do that. Yeah. That's not how I roll. I'll, I'll never do that. I take a lot of pride in it. Sean, and, you're a brilliant boss. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> Cheesy. Like, it's just, like... <laughs> It's just so focused on everyone being in the right zone all the time, which is so important, as important as being clean and washed down. We always say, though, don't we, being in a professional kitchen is... I always liken it to being on on the West End doing two shows a day because you've got two non-negotiable deadlines a day where you have to be ready and ready to go. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so when I open the door to come down into the kitchen and I've got my my chef's outfit on... And I'm always come straight into my professional persona. So I'm like, morning, morning, everyone, morning. I say good morning to everybody. And I like buoy myself up by my good morningness. And then to have a feeling of goodwill. And that really does perpetuate teamwork and a respectful work environment that I take really, really seriously. Also yeah. the building as well. You know, mm. We haven't talked about the building. I mean, it's just like yeah. the room and the kitchen Describe being it. in the Describe room. It. So it's just got this lovely feeling of calm, you know, and after 22 years, whatever it is of going into it, every morning I open the door and just think, oh, this is just, you know, this is, for, for, I mean, for us it's home, but it's also just, it's just impeccable. If I come in the morning, this is like ever so slightly topical, but if I come in the morning and someone's left a bottle of wine, I haven't finished on table one you know it really annoys me because mm. it's just it kind of say drank breaks it. the spell <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds okay <laughs> also you should be able to from the table table one is right in the kitchen table 12 is literally in the kitchen and mm. and in theory you should be able to walk into the kitchen at any moment i mean mm. don't try it at home and there's nothing hidden everything is fully Absolutely. on show so yeah. there's nothing dodgy going on behind the scenes everything and, it sh- and Ruthie's a real stickler for like make sure the bin you hide yeah. the bin get rid of that bin and, I love it when know. someone comes into the kitchen they say show me the kitchen and they just go this is it they always <laughs> yeah. think there's like something else like downstairs yeah. That yeah. this is it this is yeah. all of it you know from BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I think I looked after you on your first day. Massively. And then we both worked our way up through the River Cafe kitchen together. So we became friends really like that. I remember once being on the cold section with Joseph and saying... How much oil do you think mm, Ruthie will like on this dish? <laughs> we were, you know, we had a camaraderie mm-hmm. and then we were on our same journey all the way up to the top to the point now that I get to basically work with my best friend. Because I often say to chefs, especially sometimes I say it when a chef has been here for a while and is kind of slightly impatient with a very, very young chef who's just started. I say, do you remember your first day? You know, it's like mm. remembering your first kiss. Mm. Can you remember your f- first day here, either of you? Oh, gosh, absolutely, yes. What was it like? Oh, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Who was, was Rose and here or was I here? So Rose was but, there. I, I remember the whole process of arriving. I wrote a letter and gave it to Rose, incredibly nervous when I had lunch, and she invited me to come the following week to work. And, uh, yeah, you were away that week, and I was just terrified to be honest, until you came back. <laughs> and, then I, and then you made me a cup of tea. And I thought, OK, I think I can get on with this. But I, the first week, I was like in awe and so scared. I remember leaving and just thinking like, OK, I'm OK. I've got through another day. You yeah, know, it was literally day by day. But I'm sure, you know, that is the same for anyone in a... You know, yeah. I'd wanted to work here for a couple of years at that point, And it just meant so much. I could barely cope with it. Mm. Did you remember yours, your first day? I remember meeting Rose on my first day and she said something I always quote, still said, I'll teach you to slice a piece of prosciutto the perfect thickness. I'll teach you to cook bolotti beans perfectly. I'll teach you the art of simple cooking. And I remember thinking, that sounds easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But actually, that is the essence of the River Cafe, isn't it? Simplicity and the understanding of simplicity, which as I've worked with Ruthie over the years... I've never understood it more than watching you and how you take one thing more away. You well, know? <laughs> but were you scared? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what was still fear? Scared. Was the fear that you could do something wrong or someone would tell you off? Or I think maybe 20 years ago, when I was a younger chef, kitchens, even though the River Cafe wasn't like that, having come through London kitchens and then being quite hierarchical and mm. aggressive and... Wow male-dominated, mm-hmm. I really, you know, to go somewhere as revered as River Cafe, the preconception would be more yeah. of that. But as I was going along my journey, I was becoming more sure of what I didn't like. Yeah. So when I arrived yeah. at the River Cafe and met two women that I was like, wow, this, this is like a life goal here. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, and then you could pursue your own values of, as we went up the ladder, the things that were really important to us as you became more of a manager, I suppose. Mm. Absolutely right. And it's interesting about how immediate your performance is judged it's in a true, restaurant. Yeah. You know, exactly. Chefs are judged as soon as they walk into the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, you can judge a chef by the, the chef's trousers they wear even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if they come in in a jacket that's not clean yeah. or yeah. tied neatly and how you present yourself before you've even picked up your knife, which people mm. are judging you by your knife quietly, mm. even though I, mm. I don't believe in the, what your knife says about you per se. But mm. a lot of chefs will just have a little look at someone's knife before they've even chopped anything. Did you start being so afraid? Oh, How yes. long did it take? About two years. Two years ago or just after two years? Uh, it took about two years to settle in. What do you think that was? I think because what, what the River Cafe does... We write the menu every day, twice a day, for lunch and dinner. And so it's very unique. When I worked in, for example, Bluebird, I mm. was the queen of mise en place. And mm. we were doing... And so Can we, you say what mise en place it is? It means you have to have your <laughs> prep, all your vegetables and stuff done for, you know, for the, like in the River Cafe, we have our vegetables done just for lunch and most things we do to order. So if we have parsley... We chop parsley to order and we chop mm. garlic to order. We do everything to order. It's as fresh as it could be. When I worked in Bluebird, I had the whole fridge stocked for the week. So when I started at the River Cafe, I was like, well, you're mad. How can you do everything to order? That is, mm. This is a recipe for disaster. I'm the queen of mise en place. You know? <laughs> when a new chef comes, when you've interviewed someone, and you know, I always used to say, what books do you read? Michelle Rue used to say, make me an omelette. But what do you look for in terms of somebody coming for a job here? If we interview people together, though, we try and put them off. Because some people yeah. come with, they have um, maybe a, a law degree or they've done a degree in Doctor, medicine. Yeah, we have. Yeah. And we're like, okay, so you know you have to stand up for a living. <laughs> you know you have to work nights, you have to work weekends. It's shift work. If you love cooking, you can always cook at home. And then if you're really, 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 really set on it, then, you know, because some people you think, my God, you could earn a fortune being a lawyer. I look for people that I think will fit into the team because if someone wants to learn, we can teach anyone to cook. But going back, what actually made you want to be a chef? I didn't study it, but I grew up having long summer holidays in Italy and my grandmother started cooking before we got up. And I slept in a room where the only window was to the kitchen. There wasn't a window to the outside. So I think it was kind of... Really? You had to pass just, through the kitchen to get through? Yeah, there was no... It was actually not... You know, there was no outdoor window. There was just a hatch <laughs> to, the, to the cooker. And Nonna was impatient for, for us to wake up so she could be with her grandkids. So she'd open the thing and put cups of, like, sweet coffee and, you know, do everything to wake us. So that's how it got in me. But I didn't realise that I could make it into a career. Until and when? then... I got a job washing up in the kitchen with a with for a guy called Chris, who's a, a dear friend. And one day he um, burned himself so badly he had to go to hospital, and I was left to make Sunday lunch. And I just loved it. And I think that's when I thought, okay, I could, I could really enjoy this. And what about you, Sean? My mum was a really brilliant cook, and a really in the eighties she was a sort of Robert Carrier generation, and I aspired to where she was come from. Probably you know that French influence. And um, my parents were real, um, you know, the gastronomic bit in the 70s, 80s. And, and I was fortunate enough to travel and eat well. And then as I became older, I read cookbooks like literally like they were novels. I 
I don't haven't read the, the classics, but I've read the classics in cookbooks. And then I which want, ones? Can um, you say? Well, I probably my. I mean, I've read my Italian repertoire, mm. but the ones that really got me into cooking when I was young, I loved reading the French ones. I loved the Rue Brothers, but you know Sophie Grigson. Mm. But Richard like the kind Olney. of did you read Richard Olney or not? I didn't. Was that more American. Um, yeah. Elizabeth David or not much. Elizabeth David, yeah. I wanted to be a chef. Yeah. But my parents would not entertain the idea, and obviously I was being such a good person, I just did what they said. So I went off to university, and then I became a chef after I'd graduated, much against everyone else's, you know, what they thought was a good idea. I um, just worked my way up from the bottom then. Hmm. Age 22 I started. Did you? Yeah. And, and you had to overcome your parents' disapproval? <laughs> <laughs> took a while <laughs> and then your father I know he was so fiercely proud um, of you being a chef he was yeah yeah, he, yeah, really he was. definitely was a chef but also a chef who took the river cafe and uh, you know moved it forward From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So, you know, we've talked about both of you being interviewed by Rose or in awe of her and in love with her as, you know, we were. People often ask me, they say, how did the River Cafe survive a fire? What would happen if two of your great Sean and Joseph left? What would happen if you had something happen and how would you get through it? And I say, well... The worst thing that ever could have happened, the most imaginable thing that could have ever happened, I'm going to start to cry, was Rose dying, that Rose left us. And if we could get through that, then we could almost do anything, because it was a lot. And she was not only, she not only died, but she was sick, and, and we went through different stages of that illness. And we don't have to focus on her death, we can focus on her life. What was she like? When I think about Rose, I think about... Well, she was really... She was very different 
to you in many ways, wasn't she? You were like, you know, of course, this is probably the secret of a good working relationship. But she was an avid gardener, wasn't she? she mm. The garden was something she was very... Um, the vegetable garden. She had encyclopedic knowledge of, of plants, which was... You know, she encouraged us to think about the River Cafe garden with only having an edible... Every single plant in the River Cafe garden is edible. And she was very proud of that. Yeah. The other thing I think of when I think of Rose is, is Vinitaly, how I was lucky enough to go to Vinitaly with her. What was that like? like? So Vinitaly is a big wine tasting where you go for a... I mean, you could go for a week. You may never come back. You could probably go for two days is perfect. And we'd go and we'd try, I don't know, 50 to 100 wines a day. Maybe, maybe that's an exaggeration. But a lot of wine. And towards the afternoon, Rose would get a little bit like, you know, the palate is starting to fade. Hmm. let's go into Verona and uh, get an aperitivo and sit in the square and watch the world go by and, and go, let's go and eat a cake here. And, and that appetite for, for sort of hedonistic hmm. chefing, which was, hmm. you know, really fun as well. That's, that's how I always remember her. What do you think about when you think about Rose? Oh, um, I've got no idea what kind of chef I'd be without Rose, what kind of cook, cook I'd be, even at home, let alone in a restaurant. I, I don't even know where to start. You know, I was fortunate. I had an Italian grandmother who also taught me a lot of things. But when I came to the River Cafe, Rose taught me, retaught me how to make tomato sauce. Just feel very lucky to have sat literally holding on their apron strings, probably mm. being a bit annoying and trying to take it in. And I suppose a part of it as well, particularly in the early days, was trying to please her impress mm-hmm. her you know i think loads of people say this it's so true it's just like three nice words from rose could like yeah. get you through f- half a year <laughs> and so i was looking for that an awful lot and just enjoying it so much yeah. being here cooking with you and her people always say oh you give up so much being a chef especially mm-hmm. in your 20s oh what you can't come to the concert on saturday night you know i wouldn't didn't want to be anywhere else i mean you're kidding That's me nice. i remember yeah. one time We'd had a huge lunch in Tuscany, and then we drove to Piemonte, and oh. we went out to dinner, and there was a... And I remember there was, a, again, a grand dinner, and I sat next to her, and I remember when the fifth course came out, I just started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I literally started... I can't take this anymore. That's too much. And she was just, you know, there she was. Yeah. Come on, Rogers. Rogerina, she used to call me. You know, there were so many. Yeah. She was very much yeah. her own person, I think, in terms of what yeah. she chose yeah. to do. And fiercely loyal and fiercely proud. I was, uh, you know, we used to get into a taxi in Paddington in the early, early days. And she'd just say to the driver, River Cafe. And I used to say, I hope this guy knows where the River Cafe is or his day is going to be ruined. <laughs> and she's really, she's such a character. Yeah. Yeah. So, actually, speaking of changes we've made and the way we've grown, we did grow in the beginning of lockdown. And I was wondering if you might like to tell the story of how we reacted to a closure, which we didn't know would be for weeks or for months, and what is the story of Shop the River Cafe? Well... Where did we start? (laughs) We were all in different places, working remotely. Sean was stuck in Wales, which couldn't leave. You were at yours, I was at my house, and then we had a fridge full of cheese and other things that I had to come in and look after them apart from anything else. Mm-hmm. So we started to see if we could sell them. We had a lot of food that we were left with. It was just criminal to see it 
just you know we couldn't waste it and we tried to there was some amount that you can we can give stuff to charity away but there's some sort of with strict rules about what you can and can't give and fresh food and so it, we because we had no idea how long it was going to go on for so we kind of did some entrepreneurial ideas to sort of empty the kitchen and then after we'd done that Ruthie who's like a voracious appetite for (laughs) never resting (laughs) was like okay right now we've got rid of that but hang on what are we going to do with ourselves yeah I think what happened is that we sat here in the private dining room and we thought we're going to have to close this restaurant we don't know how long Mm. for but we did have all these ingredients and pastas and everything and so that's when we thought we could sell the olive oil we could sell the pasta and we would have an online business where we could that the way we could sell it and then I think I think I made tomato sauce. I have, there's a photograph of me with yeah, yeah, 27 yeah. jars of tomato yeah. sauce. And then you said that you thought, Joseph, that pesto would be a yeah. possibility. So I think we had tomato sauce and pesto. Yeah. And then? And then we just added bit by bit, didn't we? And then as it, we realised it was, as, as everyone in lockdown was so keen to have something from a restaurant, I think we, that was... You know, we were busy, busy, starting to become busier. But it culminated, I think, on Mother's Day of the first, the second, I don't know, one of the lockdowns, where we had so many orders that we had to prep a thousand artichokes. And we had the boxes came in floor to ceiling and it took a whole day to prepare them because everything we do at Shop the River Cafe is made at the River Cafe by our River Cafe chefs. And it it was was like... hours of boxes. Yeah, and... um, it was actually kind of cool to see that we could actually pull that off, I think, wasn't it? I think everyone really enjoyed it. I think by that stage of it, the team was ready to be together and just to be doing something. It just yeah. felt really good. We kept people in different teams, didn't we? So we didn't have... Oh, yeah. Not no, everyone had, could we meet. We had bubbles. We had yeah. bubbles, yeah. yeah. But what I found with the shop is that there's been such a learning curve because mm. we've gone True. from understanding how to cook and then we were, had the packaging and then we were like, oh, my God, the packaging's leaking or someone's mm. potatoes had fallen out of the box. Mm. And so yeah. we, we were all like, oh, God, how are we going to yeah. solve this problem? So we were doing problem solving. And then we were like, OK, how can we get this to a customer who wants it in Scotland? And then we were throwing, had the box packed, didn't we, of all the stuff. And we, I remember throwing it off the balcony to see if it broke to oh. check our packaging materials would work. I remember having the chefs and being, you know, have these little kind of, packed lunch boxes kind of thing, aren't they? Filling them up with food and saying, oh, you must just put this in here as beautifully as if it was for a plate in the restaurant. So when they're open, yeah, there, it's that. lovely, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then we put it all in and then I saw the delivery driver come and pick them up and he just sort of threw them over <laughs> his shoulder and I just thought, oh, no. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, it's a really curve. whole other world. Yeah. Doing these podcasts, advice was given to me to always have a common question that you asked everyone before we say goodbye on this afternoon. What would be your comfort food. Do you have one? Who wants to go first? I almost reckon that I could answer can for you Joseph and he could answer for me. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Can you predict what Joseph's answer to what I, is I your reckon, comfort food? I reckon you'd either say bread mm-hmm. or pasta. Bread okay. or pasta, I mean... Yeah. But, oh, oh, yes. I mean like, but feel free to answer for yourself. No, a slice of bread, <laughs> most definitely, yeah. What would you put yeah. on the bread? Maybe nothing. Nothing. But yeah, maybe nothing. And not toasted, or, just a piece of bread. If it was like warm bread, I think maybe nothing. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. And uh, do you want to know what Sean's comfort food is? Mm. I've got a few choices, actually, but I've maybe spaghetti batarga. Oh. Maybe. Mm. And I say I, that because I... I would have that, said blanc, but that's okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I know that you eat that when you're <gasps> home alone, you know, mm. and that's your kind of treat for yourself. 
That's true. Okay, yeah. now you can comment on each other. So yours would be bread. Yeah. And would yours be spaghetti? I mean, spaghetti potato. It's in my top five. Mm, what are four? Are the four? Um, cheese. Any cheese. Mm. Any cheese. So potato is a dried. I mean, it sounds pretty not that appetising. It's a it's a row of a of a grey mullet, and it's a Sardinian speciality. You just grate it into spaghetti. I mean, generally, I think people would probably use about a third of a stick per person. I could eat a whole stick. I love it. And then you put it into the spaghetti with lots of olive oil, a little tiny one drop of lemon juice, plenty of black pepper. Oh, my God, I'm making myself hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go have some right now. Yeah. Okay, so Sean said that if, if you said there was nothing on your bread, yeah. what would be on your pasta and what would the pasta um, be? I think it would probably be pasta with tomato. Thank you. Well, I can say that I don't know what food is my comfort, but I have to say 100% you two are my comfort. Thank you. Stop me off. Thanks. To visit the online shop of The River Cafe, go to shoptherivercafe.co.uk. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.